Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Are you caring for an aging parent? Are you searching for answers? Welcome to Senior Care Live, a program dedicated to you, providing information, education, and resources, helping you become the best caregiver you can be. I'm your host, Steve Keeker. Welcome, everyone, to Senior Care Live, where it's all about information, education, and resources for those of us caring for an elderly loved one. I'm your host, Steve Keeker, and the president of Senior Care Consulting. Thank you so much for being with us here today. I really, really appreciate it. So today is a special episode of Senior Care Live, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, I just want to share some great news with you. And here it is, and I, I kind of referenced this last week just a little bit, but in six short months of having this program on Saturday mornings on this awesome flagship station, KMBZ uh, Talk 980 AM, our listenership has increased a whopping 75% over the previous two-year high. So at this rate of growth, this just clearly makes us one of the fastest growing radio programs in the entire region. And look, here's my goal. I want to double listenership by the end of this year. And with your help, we can definitely, definitely do this. So again, thank you so much for your ongoing and continuous wonderful support. If you have a question about the program or how we can help you and your family, you can call anytime, toll free, 1-800-331-6445. Again, that's 1-800-331-6445. You can also visit the website for more information. That's at SeniorCareLive, SeniorCareLive.com. And just a real quick heads up, our next free educational event will be held on Wednesday, February the 17th from 9 to noon. That's going to be in Overland Park. Listen for a lot more information that will be coming up next week. Okay, friends, this is a special episode of Senior Care Live, so hang on, uh, fasten your seatbelts. This will be excellent information for all of us. Now, I've titled the episode, The Politics of Senior Care. Now, wait a minute. Before you change the channel and you're saying to yourself, oh, Steve, not another political radio program, just bear with me for a minute here, okay? Today, we will discuss the various legislation, new programs, and initiatives that affect senior care uh, for all of our beloved seniors. So this is not a vote-for-me type of program, and we will not trash any political party or individual politician. However... The information shared today may influence how you vote in an upcoming local, state, or national election. So that's just totally up to you to decide. Now, before we begin, let me introduce to you my friend, Mr. Brian Brown. And let me say, look, he is one of the most intelligent and informed people I know when it comes to legislative issues and senior care. He's also just a a very good human being. He's a good person. He's honest, kind, and I totally trust him to help us through this very, very 
important topic. So, Brian, with now with that glowing halo <laughs> that's over your head, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I, I don't know. It, it, you've set the bar kind of high, so hopefully I can meet that expectation for all those <laughs> listeners out there. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. So, so let's, let's start at the uh, federal level, Brian. Then we can move to the state level. We'll talk about VA issues. Uh, and then at the end of the program, I want to end this program with the call to action. So, uh, Brian, what's uh, currently happening at the federal level? Well, I think that's a good question to ask, but before I answer that question, what I'd like to do is kind of take us back in a trip, to take a trip through time, Yep. because I think it's important to know how we got to this point to actually understand the, the, underground, the underlying current that's determining, you know, the trajectory as to where healthcare is moving right now. Okay. So if we go back roughly in 2007, uh, there was an article basically written through the New England Journal of Medicine. And basically, it, it outlined the care of efficiency or lack of efficiency for Medicare fee-for-service individuals. That are those individuals that are 65-plus that have Medicare that are using that as their health care insurance, their primary health care insurance. Mm-hmm. And basically, what it, it's, it, the, the outcome of this analysis basically stated is, if John Doe went into the hospital for this diagnosis or this procedure, he was also going back into the hospital to be treated again for that same item 60, 90 days later, and then again 120 days later. So the question was, is why couldn't we do a better job on the initial diagnosis by being more uh, comprehensive with the level of care that was provided to ensure that John Doe didn't come back 60, 90 days again in incurring, uh, and ultimately this is a driver of, of the, the economics of health care, uh, incurring more costs into the system that you know thus burdening the the healthcare system with additional costs by just not maybe taking an extra day or being a little bit more thorough with with analysis and that's not pointing the finger at any practitioner or anyone it's just it was it's fact that's what was happening you're discharged sicker and quicker and then you're coming back in for the, for the same issue exactly so obviously in looking at the the um, Current deficit, knowing that healthcare in the United States is a, a trillion-dollar industry, uh, part of the question was uh, that was asked um, through a group in Congress was, how can we do a better job of managing these expenses? This is a federal program; these are federal dollars that are paid into. There's a concern. Uh, we were going through the recession as well during that time in '08. Um, we had individuals where unemployment had spiked. Um, The Medicare fund is not being replenished as quickly as it's being drained. Uh, Depending upon where you get your statistics from, you're seeing anywhere between 6,000 and 10,000 individuals turning 65, uh, getting their red, white, and blue card every day. So this became a concern that they they realized that we're on a path that's not sustainable. Uh, We're on a path where potentially uh, the Medicare fund could be depleted, uh, and they needed to create some answers or to at least create a a stopgap to allow them to get to a point where they can find out what those answers would look like and be able to uh, come up with some evidence-based outcomes to understand where we needed to go next. Okay. So in doing that, um, obviously in 08 there was an election, and during that election uh, the new president had initiated as, as part of their platform to do the uh, to do an overhaul in health care. Ultimately the Affordable Care Act uh, came out, which is more commonly referred to as Obamacare, mm-hmm. uh, has adjusted a lot of the things that individuals that are practitioners for seniors uh, have had to change their models and what they're doing. 
Um, the big things that, that occurred through Obamacare, uh, there's one side effect that has dealt with the actual provider itself where it, generally everything else is dealing with outcomes that directly involve the, the Medicare beneficiary. Ultimately, and I'll use this as an example on the side real quick, part of the challenge that providers, being the individuals that provide the care for uh, individuals were, were through Obamacare were given this mandate to where they had to ensure that all of their labor force had coverage. And, and through this mandate, it is where organizations were looking to find ways to, to create um, a means to create cash to recapitalize in their organization and get better. What they've had to do now is they've had to uh, cut back on what they're able to uh, invest from the standpoint of technology in some cases because now that all their uh, employees are now required to have insurance, their insurance costs have gone up tremendously. And when you look at a lot of the providers, I'm not sure what the percentages are, that are uh, small providers where you say uh, anywhere between 150 employees that cost has not been commensurate with the level of reimbursement that they've been receiving. So there's been an undue uh, burden on on managing the economics for the smaller provider. That's affected the operation side, and we'll go to more about how that now is affecting what's expected from uh, a clinical outcome side. But then for the individual now, they're looking at efficiency based on that study that uh, I had cited back in 07 to say how well can we – now look at John Doe when John Doe comes through the hospital or John Doe gets diagnosed with something and make sure John Doe is getting all the appropriate treatment that's necessary, and those are key words, at the time of treatment to ensure that John Doe can be successful back in his base location, be at home with family, wherever that is. And, and not be readmitted once or twice or three times uh, in inflating that cost wildly. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So. One of the things that was created through that, and, and I, I'll elaborate on this a little bit more, was the uh, Centers of Medicare and Medicaid created the uh, Innovation Center. And basically they were tasked to do a handful of things, but most, their largest task was was to review different payment models uh, for treatment and test those models to make sure they were financially viable. And if so, then that would be kind of where the Medicare program would move to its new trajectory. Um, Without getting too deep in the woods, I had always assumed that, you know, Medicare being a, a federal entity, and we all know federal governments move very efficiently when it comes to managing their own budgets. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know. It, wink, wink. I, I figured there'd be some kind of contractor that would step in. Yeah. But through this process, what they've done is they've created some pretty interesting things that, that I'll end up sharing here uh, very shortly with you as to how they're going to ensure um, – better efficiency and compliance within some of the, the policies that they've created. So what you're saying is that through the Affordable Care Act, uh, also known as Obamacare, that has the ripple effect has directly and indirectly ended up with uh, some some new initiatives through Medicare that that does affect seniors and the care provided. And see, that's I heard that all the time. Oh, it has nothing to do with Medicare, but actually it definitely does. And right after the break, we will get into some of these uh, some of these changes. They're very, very uh, impactful, and very, very interesting. So so for our listeners, uh, stay tuned for that, because we've got a whole lot more ground to cover here. 
Now, the Senior Care Live question of the week, Medicare certified home health services, including skilled nursing and rehab therapy, can be provided to an individual in all of the following environments except your home or apartment, an independent living facility, an assisted living facility, or a nursing home. And the answer, right after the break, don't go away. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, call now, toll free, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, 1-800-331-6445. I'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information about this program and how we can help you and your family, call the toll-free number at 1-800-331-6445. That's 1-800-331-6445. And don't forget, if you ever want to listen to the program and you're not around a radio, if you have an Internet connection, super simple. Go to SeniorCareLive.com and just click on the button that says Listen Live, and it will stream to any electronic device. It's literally that simple. All right, so back to my special guest, Mr. Brian Brown. This is a special episode of Senior Care Live, the politics of senior care. And Brian, hold on, just I forgot to, I need to answer my Senior Care Live question of the week. Medicare certified home health services, and this would include skilled nursing and rehab therapy, can be provided to to an individual in all of the following environments except A, your home or apartment, B, an independent living facility, C, an assisted living facility, or D, a nursing home? And the answer is D, a nursing home. And see, this is... This is why, okay, a nursing home is considered a clinical environment, and it's a medical model. The others are not. So you can receive nursing and rehab uh, services. This would be under, uh, covered under your Medicare benefit uh, and at, at your at your home or your apartment, independent living or assisted living. Uh, but in the nursing home, after a hospital stay, that's, a, a, that's not home care. That's a different part of Medicare coverage. You could also get Medicare Part B coverage for rehab in the nursing home, but you cannot get the Medicare covered uh, home health benefit in a nursing home. So that was a little bit of a tricky question. All right, so Brian, let's jump back into the federal level and some of these payment methods. So ultimately, uh, the pillars on on the reform of of how they wanted to look at what the future of healthcare ends up looking like was they created these pillars and they called them the triple aim, which basically focused on these three things. Uh, number one, they wanted to ensure that the patient experience and the patient satisfaction level was at a benchmark level that um, individuals weren't just being rushed through like they were on an assembly line, that okay. there was some human human uh, connection and compassion uh, with the care, delivery of care. Um, number two, they wanted to increase uh, health care outcomes in populations. If you have a healthier environment, if you have a healthier geographic area, then ultimately you would assume that, generally speaking, most of your, your um, expenses for health care should go down. And then ultimately reducing the per capita cost for care for individuals. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, the uh, CMS Innovation Center was created, uh, and basically they were created to, for those individuals who currently receive Medicare, Medicaid, and or the Children's uh, Health Insurance Program. 
but one of the, the, the three charges that they were provided for was to test new payment models and service delivery models uh, to evaluate those results and to look at the best practices and start adopting those is, is more policy-wise, uh, and then engage in a broad, then engage a, a broad range of stakeholders to come together to develop uh, additional uh, components for the model to create greater efficiencies and synergies. Uh, and I think the mo- the last point was the most important because when you look at the healthcare models prior to this initiative, uh, healthcare the delivery of healthcare was very fragmented. Um, from an individual that you would talk to, they refer to this as individuals working in their own silos of care. So basically think of this, if you're on the assembly line and you're putting together the car, well, the guy that does the wheels and the tires really isn't sensitive to what the guy, the person that's working on the chassis is doing. All they know is they're doing tires and that's all they care about. That's that's my job. That's not my job. And yeah, I'm responsible for this. You guys just don't screw this up because I've done my job <laughs> and I handed I handed a good tire over to you. So you yeah. just make sure this car gets on the you know out on the uh, showroom floor. Yeah. Um, but you know now we're 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 now brought together in this environment where now we have to talk, we have to understand and create a language that we all can speak because we were kind of speaking in different dialects before, uh, and now we have to look at how we measure things. Well. Your outcome, you may measure one way and may have the same outcome and the same metric, but measure it differently than I do. Mm-hmm. So how do we find out what the universal measure is? So there's been a process where individuals have had to collaborate and spent thousands and thousands of hours just in understanding how do we do this to be able to come together and bring a collaborative uh, group of individuals together to be able to work from providing acute care services in the hospital, primary care services at the doctor's office home health when the individual needs to go back to home or their independent living or their assisted living per your question. Mm-hmm. Um, or if coordination is needed, you know, they want to make sure that if they do now get discharged, say, from home, from a hospital, they have home health or, say, they come uh, to a skilled nursing facility like the care that we provide. Now they're saying, once again, here's the tire. Make sure the tire gets on the car and it doesn't come back. To, to need to be worked on. And and I, th- I think this whole thing is a good idea. It always makes me a little nervous when the government starts meddling into something. But I think the system is fragmented. Frankly, I think a whole lot of many of the parts are broken. And so if you if you take the overall approach of, you know, my putting the tires on does have an effect, a, a ripple effect, whether I do that properly or, or not, it, it has an effect in the overall picture and the end result. And I think that's a good idea to, to look at that. And then the customer service, the satisfaction, mm-hmm. I think that is huge because that's been completely lost in the past. Correct. And, and that, al- that also affects how individuals are paid now, too, because if your satisfaction scores are below a certain level, you may, let's say, if you're reimbursed the dollar, but your satisfaction scores are well below the benchmark, well, you may have qualified for a dollar, but you may receive 90 cents of that dollar now, which is a huge impact when you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. So... Uh, when we move into the first segment of what these payment models look like, they brought together a, a group of individuals, and they're called accountable uh, care organizations. And individuals did this on a voluntary basis based on kind of what we were talking about with the model before with the car. And basically what they said was, okay, let's get together. We're going to pull a group of individuals that feel we can look at delivering efficient care and, and, and doing that in a way that we don't encumber the system with costs and more efficient with managing those expenses. And so part of the incentive to do that was 
that if these groups or these ACOs, as they're called, can come together and deliver care more efficiently than was being done before, then they're being incentivized that if, say, costs in a, a metropolitan statistical area may may be, say, $100. Mm-hmm. We're just speaking low random numbers. Sure. Um, but if we can deliver the cost at $97, then that ACO can qualify to share part of that $3 or that margin or that spread that was saved from delivering that care. So they incentivize the system. As I mentioned before, I thought there would be a third party that would come in and provide oversight with regards to case management and efficiency of payments. But now what they've done is they put that responsibility back on the providers themselves where they are now determining if we're going to do this and be successful at it, we need to make sure we manage the process better, not rely on a third party to do that. And so ACOs have been going on for quite some time. There have been uh, 220 uh, ACOs in the shared savings model, of which, you know, only 24% of those, or 52 of them, actually earned money through this process, where the other ones had re- reduced spending, where uh, 46% of them, or 102 of them, didn't receive any savings, uh, achieve any savings, or uh, uh, were able to successfully uh, manage outcomes as well, too. So... What they've done is we've moved on to the next uh, model, which is going to be bundled payment systems. Okay, so see now, <laughs> this is uh, this is getting in depth, and so what we're doing is we're looking at our current model and how do we make it better. We're running some pilot programs to find best practices, and now we're going to move to the next step of the bundle payment, and this is really where we're going to see some effects, positively or negatively. We will get into that right after the break. Special episode today: the politics of senior care. We'll be right back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, call now, toll-free, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, 1-800-331-6445. I'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information about the program and how we can help you and your family, call the toll-free number 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, so you can call anytime 1-800-331-6445. And if you miss an episode, let's say you're listening to this and you're like, wow, I wish a certain person would have heard this. No worries at all. Uh, just after the fact, you can go to SeniorCareLive.com, click the podcast tab, and you can listen to any of the previously aired episodes. Just click the button and listen anytime you'd like. And uh, we have a lot of folks listening to podcasts uh, after the fact. So uh, so, so keep it up and, and help yourself there. Uh, back to my special guest today, Brian Brown. He is an expert on senior care legislation and the impact it has on our seniors and the care that's provided. And uh, the, the special episode today... The politics of senior care. And Brian, we haven't thrown anyone under the bus. We're just explaining all this, right? Exactly. <laughs> all right. So now some of my clients have been, uh, just perplexed and that doesn't even touch it actually. They've been in the hospital, say three, four, five days. Uh, and you have some assumptions that go along with that. They're discharged to rehab therapy in a skilled nursing facility and they expect to have 10, 15, 20 days of rehab before they can then move on to their home, wherever that may be. They're stunned to find out 
Oh, wait a minute. Your rehab is not covered by Medicare. And they're like, wait a minute. We were in there four or five days. No, you were in the hospital under a technicality of of under observation. You were not admitted as an inpatient. That disqualifies you from Medicare covering your rehabilitation stay and your cost, in which we're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars. So why does that happen? Why did that happen? And how does that relate to all of these changes that are being evaluated in the Medicare system? Well, and I think that's a great question to ask. And I've, I've, had to experience and have conversations with families several times. I've even uh, had individuals write letters and actually go to our federal legislators' offices and, and have these discussions with them. And they are, they can't believe that patients are being denied benefits or care. And when you explain to them that, well, it's this is being predicated on now that, that hospitals and other care providers not pointing the finger at hospitals, but the system itself is, is now being forced to be more efficient and more accountable for how it's managing resources, uh, it, it, it's become a concern. And basically in the situation you're talking about, say Jane Doe goes to the hospital, fractures a shoulder. Um, she may have some other things going on that they need to watch her for, but nothing really prudent to, to admit her into the hospital for. She lives by herself. She cooks for herself. She's completely independent. She drives back and forth you know, to all of her activities. But now she can't do that. And her children say live uh, you know, on the coast and can't be here to support her. So how is she going to survive in her household? And, and in some cases, she can't. So she needs to go to a care environment. Whereas before this legislation, before, let's say, pre-2008, you know, we just they just say just keep her in the hospital for three days. After three days, you know, she'll get her, her three-day qualifying stay, and it activates her Medicare. She can go there and, and, and get whatever rehab she needs, and then when she's ready to have a safe discharge to home, she'll be fine. Well, now... We're not able to do that because now those those indiscretionary decisions that are being made are being scrutinized. And so uh, when you look at situations like that where an individual, say, um, has to then go and pay for their own care, now it's coming out of their pocket where they're paying anywhere between three, $400 a day for room board therapy, meals, and everything else, which if you tell somebody you have an emergency expense, people don't really plan for things like that yeah. when, when, when they think they have health care insurance. So that's become problematic. But even advancing the discussion even more, I think that's where we started talking about bundle payments. I think that's kind of where we start to look at common sense solutions now. Because in this bundled payment model, it basically says if Jane Doe's in the hospital and diagnosed with X, well, this is normally what we reimburse the hospital for, and this is what the cost in a metropolitan statistical area, or we'll refer to that as an MSA, look like for that general area. So what we're going to do is we're going to say, here, for a 60-, 90-day period, you manage all Jane Doe's costs. This is the target line that you need to meet. If you meet below that target, then you can be incentivized to be able to experience some of the savings in that. However, Potentially, depending upon what phase your, your organization is in with, a, with regards to a bundle payment model, if you don't perform at the targeted level of what those expenses should be, you then become uh, at risk to absorb the financial responsibility for not meeting that targeted cost. Uh, and so relative to that with bundle payments, there's four specific models. The most commonly one that's looked at right now is Model 2. And in the Model 2 bundled payment, that has to do primarily with primary care physicians and hospital or acute care providers. Um, it's where the largest amount of money is actually pumped into the system at that level as well, too. Uh, so then from there, they will set up what's known as a convener. 
which basically operates as a hub that brings everything together. And this convener will apply for an application to the Center of Innovation. Uh, they've opened it up for anybody to apply to if you feel you deem ne- you, this is appropriate for your organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, uh, if their application is approved, they get the data analysis for their MSA. Uh, they determine, uh, after crunching all that information, which I've been told is extremely, extremely cumbersome, and, and most organizations have to hire uh, specialists to go through and, and do the data analysis for them, sure. to look at their own processes and systems and see how they can perform to uh, an expected level to see if if being in a bundled payment system is even something that's possible for them. So within this bundled payment system, there's actually two phases. The first phase is the application phase where they do the data analysis. The second phase is the risk-bearing phase. And so that's where if an organization says, okay, we feel comfortable and we think we can meet the expectation, they move forward. And what they've done at that point in time is they've aligned their care model and all their support providers necessary with the understanding that we're not compromising clinical outcomes, we're not compromising satisfaction, we're being good stewards and managing our financial resources as best as possible to deliver the best care in our area. And so that's kind of where we are right now as as organizations have just went through last year uh, the second application phase to get into phase one. Um, As it relates to Kansas City, from my knowledge, there's only one organization that's in a phase two uh, model that's risk bearing and that's an orthopedic group. Um, but you know, as we look what's, what's coming down the road, in addition to that, there's a mandated, uh, bundle that's going to be starting in April 1st. And that's, that's, it's referred to as CCGR, a comprehensive care joint, uh, um, for individuals that have suffered hip, uh, hip knee injuries, uh, hip replacements, knee replacements, that now they're, Going to, and I think they had selected 83 cities of, of those 83 metropolitan statistical areas. 78 have been selected. Kansas City has been one of those to where all the orthopedic practices are now mandated to meet the bundle expectation for, for these uh, procedures. And so that's going to be something new and different. Um, I, so, so let me just back this up just for a second. So what's going to happen is the government is going to say based on your diagnosis. Or based on your situation, we're going to hand the hospital X dollars. And then the hospital will then take on the risk of managing that to a profit or a loss. And then that will also include all the different providers through your continuum of care where you go back to your home is, wherever that home may be. So that would include the inpatient stay, the physicians, the surgery, the medications, the rehab therapy, the medical equipment, all the things. And is that right? As ideal as, as a convener or a hospital would like to have the check up front, unfortunately, it's not going to occur <laughs> that way. Um, it would be nice if they could determine, well, you're not performing correctly, you don't get paid. Um, they're still going to operate under the same fee-for-service model, so the hospital will still turn around and bill Jane Doe's Medicare. Um, if Jane Doe goes to a skilled nursing facility, the skilled nursing facility will still bill Jane Doe's um, Medicare. The home health company will still bill Jane Doe's medical care. And so okay. they tie it all back to... Jane Doe, in this episode that she had with this diagnosis, has been billed by this entity, this entity, and this entity over the last 60 days. Mm -hmm. So that's how they'll end up going back and reconciling everything. They'll say, here's the targeted costs, or here's the targeted line. These are all the expenses that have been billed, that have been been incurred under that episode when Jane Doe went in the hospital April 1st. Yeah. 
So, so then they go back and then after the fact, they figure out how you performed, whether it was, you know, slightly below this targeted cost or if you, if your costs were higher than that, you're, you're going to make a few bucks, you're going to lose a few bucks. Correct. I think there's some bean counters in Roswell, um, that are actually sitting there doing all the math that are, that are, uh, actually calculating and reconciling what that actually looks like for him. So. Okay. And, and this is still a work in progress, to be fair. So, uh, uh, okay. And so I guess my, one of my immediate questions there is, um, does the patient still have a choice of his providers? Yes. And what I mean by that is you're in the hospital and one of the sacred, sacred cows, right? Of this, of, of patient, uh, advocacy is the patient always has a choice of, of their providers and they cannot be forced to go to one particular place. And, and that's correct. And, and they, they still will have the ability to choose. However, um, the providers will say, well, we have a, we've vetted out this individual and we've had the ability to work with them. And it's part of the education process. So, you know, in looking at how that will affect Jane Doe or any of our seniors, it's there's going to be alignment now, as we talked about earlier, where it was, the system was very fragmented. Now we've got a collaboration of individuals that provide care on different levels come together. So now you're looking at you should have an improved uh, experience. The qualitative delivery of care should be much more uh, improved. The only concern is now that we hope that it's not driven by economics now, because once that occurs, we start wondering, well, what care should I get versus what care is appropriate uh, based on you know the economics of the care. Ultimately, from an ethics and integrity standpoint, I, I would hope that that's not going to be an issue. But, you know, it's a new model. We'll wait and see how that's delivered. All right. Brian Brown, an expert on the legislation of senior care. It's the politics of senior care today uh, on Senior Care Live. And we will continue this right after the break. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, call now, toll free, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, 1-800-331-6445. I'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. And for more information about this program and how we can help you and your family, you can call the toll-free number anytime, 1-800-331-6445. Again, that's 1-800-331-6445. You can also contact us online at Senior Care Live. That's L-I-V, SeniorCareLive.com. All right, this is a special episode, The Politics of Senior Care, with my special guest, Brian Brown. And, and Brian, this, this whole thing makes me nervous. When we start talking about money, you know, versus, you know, what do you really need clinically, that makes me really nervous because at some point that could become abused. I, it's just a human nature thing. That makes me very nervous. Sure, and I would agree with that. First, before I start talking, congratulations on your success with your radio show. I know that many people have been following you around for for the last couple of years, and it's really great that, that Senior Care Live is a, a tremendous resource to those out in the community. So continued success with what you guys are doing here. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that um so back to the question it's it's you know that we're human the temptation's always there to uh, test our character which is did we do the right thing are we doing the thing that's best for 
all stakeholders involved or just a handful of stakeholders involved. Uh, so that entered the, that has to now enter the conversation. Um, one of the control parameters that they do have uh, that the federal government has implemented is is imposing penalties. Uh, when we uh, talk about claw, clawing individuals back into the hospital for uh, outcomes that may not be um, where the federal government would like them to be, what they've now done is implemented readmission penalties. Uh, and basically what they've done is they've had a window of three years where the max penalty that can be received in the first year, which was um, three years, well, roughly two and a half years ago, mm-hmm. uh, was up to 1%. The previous year after, or the, the year following that was 2%. The, the year that just closed, which the federal government, if you're not aware of, runs their, their fiscal year from October 1st through September 30th of the following year. So mm-hmm. we're actually in fiscal year, uh, 2016. Uh, but the penalties for fiscal year 2016 were able to be up to as high as 3%. Now, what does that mean for individuals that are listening out in the audience? Well, we've had a range of, of individual hospitals, um, that have performed where the, their penalties ranged on the Kansas side from 0.11% to 1.22% in the Missouri, 0.05% to as high as 2.23%. Now, 2.3% or, you know, that doesn't sound like much, or 0.05% doesn't sound like much. Let me quantify what that means. Mm-hmm. So if you're dealing with um, uh, a payment bundle or a reimbursement bundle of, of $10 million, which from a hospital standpoint is very small, um, you know, you're looking at at 1.22%, you're looking at $122,000 to where in Missouri, the individual that performed where they received a 2.33% penalty, excuse me, uh, received a $233,000 penalty. But now, let's say they're one of the larger hospitals where maybe that $10 million is really $100 million. So now you're starting to talk about penalties that are in the millions of or dollars. Millions of dollars, yeah. And so going back to the the statement that was made earlier with Obamacare relative to providing insurance for your employees, and now you're getting penalized. So now there's there's an error that we have to continue to do more and more is expected with less capital there on the table to once again to deliver services. And so individuals have to be very very efficient mindful of how they're managing their resources and moving a directed course. Um, and so that that's going to be something that, that the John or Jane Doe uh, can feel comfortable that their care is not going to be usurped by the process, that they still will be able to receive good care because there's a mindful eye that's watching out, you know, for these outcomes. Well, I think it's interesting that the, the government is shifting that risk and management back to the hospitals. And, and I First of all, I think with a lot of these healthcare systems, and this is not pointing the finger at any one entity or individual or anything like that, but let's face it, there's waste. It's it's a bureaucracy in our, in our government. There's tremendous waste, and it's just a fact. So I am all for accountability and 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 make this thing lean and cut out the fat and get the job done, but do a great job. And, and this is moving in that direction. This is an attempt, uh, although it's slow, it's methodical, but it it is moving in that direction. I think that's a very very positive thing. I think so. I and, and once again, if we if we look at the the 500 pound gorilla in the room, Obamacare and we go back and talk about it, ultimately we know 2016 is an election year um, and there is a lot of talk about what's going to happen. Um, ultimately, the presidency is, is going to be a big election that everybody's going to watch. Uh, currently, uh, in D.C., we have a Republican Senate and a Republican House. Uh, 
uh, and a Democratic president, which means nothing's getting rubber stamped out of Congress. Uh, it's being scrutinized by the executive branch, which is why the checks and balance system exists. What's speculated at this point in time is, depending upon who's elected president, there could be a possible, not necessarily repeal of Obamacare, because I think individuals would look back at some of the best practices that have come out of this and said, you know what, healthcare really needed to be on this trajectory. But look at some of the things that are encumbering providers from being able to recapitalize organizations and be innovative on their own, to be able to pay talent, to be able to be in the environments where it needs to be, and be able to make sure that their beneficiaries or patients get better care. Better care is always a nice thing to be able to do. However, when you're operating on shoestring budgets, um, you know now you're dealing with efficiencies of governments as to how quickly your reimbursements are coming to you. So now you have to manage your cash just like any other business, but it becomes very challenging. But Going back to my point, this election cycle is going to be very important to to determine what the future or how all this that we've just talked about with regards to the implementation of the Affordable Care Act actually looks moving forward with the new uh, new presidency that will be uh, installed after this election. So it'll be pretty interesting. It, it, it always makes me, I, I mean, I, I think the concept is good and the theory is good. It just, it always makes me nervous when you continue to lower the reimbursement rates and then you're, you're putting people, human beings in charge of delivering care for less money with an opportunity to, oh, do you cut a corner here or there and, and make a few bucks? That, that just, that makes me really nervous. You know, I, we, I gotta say. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, I would have liked some of that great bank money that was injected in the system back when the banks were going to fail. But, you know, yeah, yeah. unfortunately, we've been a very, you know, we've been a very stable, uh, you know, industry. It's one of the most regulated industries in the United States. So, you know, we'll just see what happens. Okay. In 30 seconds, how does this all relate to caring for our veterans? Well, I will say this. I know that there's been an acknowledgement that we need to do a better job of, of caring for our vets. And so they've created uh, legislation and, and initiatives to allow individuals to not only try to get into the VA, VA centers a lot quicker, but they're now allowing them, if they can't get in, to go out to other outside providers and not penalize them by, by not reimbursing for those costs. In addition, I think there's an aggressive movement as well, too, to start creating more facilities to care for those individuals to to create this this gridlock that's taking place for individuals that need that care. Okay. And, uh, Brian, so how can our listeners contact their representatives? Uh, let's throw out a couple of websites, and we need to wrap this up. Sure. Um, ultimately, if you're in the state of Missouri, if you go to Missouri.gov, it's about you can get all your local um, state uh, and federal uh, uh, elected official contact information there. Uh, if you're on Kansas, you can go for the state level, kansasledge.com, kansaslegislature.com, or you can go to uh, house.gov on both sides of the state line or, or uh, senate.gov to be able to reach the appropriate individuals. All right. And for our listeners, you should contact your representatives, discuss your concerns with them, and then ask yourself a question. Are they listening to you and are they representing the will of the people? And if they are, that's great. And if not, you have the power to vote, cast your vote, and make the changes. Thanks, Brian, for being here today. I really, really appreciate all the great information. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Steve. Thank you. All right. And to everyone listening, I'm so honored that you spent part of your day listening to this program. Thank you so much. I'm your host, Steve Keeker, and I wish you grace and peace. May God bless you and your family on this day and always. I'll see you next week right here on Senior Care Live.
We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.